welcome to season two of the Curious Catholic Podcast, where at the outset of this new season, we're going to take a Lenten journey through Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. And I'm excited uh, for this series to be joined by a companion who will introduce himself in a moment. But I realized that during season one, I never really gave uh, something of an introduction of myself. So I figured just a a quick personal intro, and then we'll meet uh, my companion for this journey through Dante's imaginative world. Uh, So my name is Matt Cheminsky, the the host of the Curious Catholic Podcast. Uh, By day, I teach theology and philosophy at a Catholic college prep high school in northern Delaware. Uh, So I get to spend a lot of my waking hours with teenagers, which might sound like one of the circles of Dante's Inferno, uh, but I assure you uh, it's one of the higher higher rings of, uh, of purgatory. And I really started this podcast as a way of sharing in the Catholic imagination with others to mine the, the beauty, the meaning, the depth, the breadth of the Catholic vision of God, humanity, and creation. And so Dante's Divine Comedy is definitely a place that this podcast should go. And so I'm glad to be joined uh, for this Lenten series, this Lenten journey through Dante's uh, afterlife or or otherworldly journey by Paul Camacho, who uh, listeners of season one would recognize from an episode where he and I discussed uh, the great movie, uh, The Tree of Life, from director Terrence Malick. And Paul gave us a a really meaningful and deep and rich Augustinian reading of that movie. And so uh, I'm very, very excited to have Paul along with me for this for this jaunt through uh, Dante's through Dante's work. So, Paul, you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on the podcast and I'm very excited for this opportunity to just chat with you about um probably the greatest the the greatest poem ever written i'm reminded of something that um t.s Eliot once said um a, a, obviously a great poet himself he said that dante and shakespeare divide the world between them and there is no third <laughs> which um whether we agree with that or not certainly um dante's comedy is um for whether you're catholic or or not catholic but certainly for catholics it's the work of catholic imagination so um this will be a really exciting conversation um as as um matt mentioned um i um have done i'm i'm a philosopher by training and um i teach at villanova um university and my um work focuses on the intersection of philosophy religion and culture I'm fortunate that at Villanova, I teach in a program called the Augustine and Culture Seminar, and it's um, an opportunity to think about um, the great texts in um, human history. And uh, it's focused around Augustine's confessions, but we get to read all sorts of things from um, Genesis up until um, contemporary literature and philosophy, theology, etc. And in the course of that, I get to teach Dante's um, comedy. I've also done some other work um, on Dante. I teach a class on um, Dante and philosophy, which has been a lot of fun. And I've also organized um, a conference and written some papers on Dante 
as well. So um, Dante is someone that I love and have been trying to learn from from for a long time. So I'm not I'm not exactly an expert on Dante, but I'm a lover of Dante, and I've spent a lot of time with him. So, and this Lenten series really fits in with the the name and ethos of the podcast. Uh, and so by the the term curious. Uh, as in curious Catholic, I have two meanings in mind. Number one, um, you know, Catholics as uh, people who are desirous of knowing reality and all that's in it more and more. So a certain type of good curiosity of, uh, of really coming to know God and God's creation, including ourselves, uh, to a greater depth and, and fullness. And then Curious also in sort of a quizzical way in that, you know, some people might uh, consider some of the beliefs and, and tenets of the faith uh, and cock their head and wonder why one might believe or think or, or hold dear to certain things. And I think Dante fits both of those understandings of the word curious perfectly. Uh, his imaginative world is, is just so full and, and, and rich and in places seemingly odd and off-putting at times, or at least, you know, wonder, I mean, wondrous in, in a very good way. So uh, his, his, his comedy fits in perfectly with the ethos and, and spirit of, of the podcast. I heard there's a, a Dante scholar um, says that Dante is orthodox by being heterodox, and that captures it really well. With the whole whole imagination for purgatory for example um was basically heterodox until it became orthodox and dante was was really central to that our way of thinking about purgatory um just as one tiny example from the comedy and the spirit uh of the reading of the divine comedy for this series is of a particular kind and uh namely uh reading the divine comedy as a spiritual text and you know, the idea came to me um, actually from some words from Pope Francis years ago. Um, I don't even know how long ago, actually, suggesting that uh, you know, Catholics view the Divine Comedy as a Lenten text. And so you can obviously review the comedy in many different ways, but we're really not going to get or hopefully not get bogged down in in the weeds, uh, the inside baseball stuff of all the political intrigue that Dante incorporates into his narrative or, you know, uh, tracking down all of the contemporary references that he makes or references to classical and antique characters and whatnot, uh, different mythologies that he's weaving together. That's all great. Uh, but primarily, we want to be reading this text uh, for the present series as one of spiritual transformation and, you know, we can get obviously focused on all of the inner workings of Inferno and, and, and whatnot. And, but really, this is, this is about using or reading the text and understanding it as a, a trajectory or itinerary of personal transformation into the image of Christ, into more, uh, being more fully who we ought to be, and uh, recognizing sin as an obstacle to all of that, and therefore uh, uh, it's being... Uh, necessary for it to be removed and 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 to overcome. So that's really the the, the ethos, I guess you could say, or the, the thrust of what we'll be trying to do here in, in this series. Yeah, and I think um, it, I, I also just will note that um, as we go along, we'll we'll pay attention to the fact that Dante is the poet who's writing the Divine Comedy, but he also writes himself into the Divine Comedy. And so there's um, Dante the poet, and there's Dante the um pilgrim let's say 
and um, Dante the poet sets Dante the pilgrim as going descending into hell on Good Friday. So he actually um, um, in 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 the year thirteen hundred, that's the setting for Dante's ascent into hell. So he's actually keyed it to um, the liturgical um, sort of descent into hell and the and the death of Christ on the cross, and then the resurrection. And the ascent into heaven at the end of the purgatorio, where he ascends into heaven. So it's it's highly appropriate liturgical, liturgically speaking, um, for this Lenten season. And so, Paul, do you want to give us something of an introduction to Dante and his wonderful creation, that is the Divine Comedy? Yes, um, absolutely. So, um, just this is a very high level overview. But da- Dante um, was born in Florence in 1265, and he died in exile from Florence in 1321. And um, the the famous um, uh, Inkling, who was um, friends with C.S. Lewis and and Tolkien um, and the other Inklings, his name is Charles Williams. He wrote a great book called um, The Figure of Beatrice, which I highly recommend. And he says in that book something like, to understand Dante and the Divine Comedy, you have to understand three things. Um, you have to understand it's about a girl, it's about a city, and it's about a guide who turns out to be poetry itself. So, a girl, city, and, and poetry. So, let me say just something really quickly about these three things. First, when Dante was eight or nine years old, um, he first beheld the Florentine girl named Beatrice. And nine years later, he saw um, her again, and he became, in his own words, he became completely transformed. Um, And he composed love poetry uh, that compared her to Christ, which was a really daring thing to do. Um, And it made him a well-renowned poet. It established a style um, that was distinctive to him. And um, the, the... um, this was a, an important moment in Dante's life. He um, saw Beatrice as sort of the outline of the divine, and we'll talk we'll talk more about this, no doubt. But even more fundamental is that in in twelve ninety, um, Beatrice dies, and um, by five years later, this this series of poems about her called the Vita Nuova, the new life about Dante's own new life that was um, brought about in his encounter with Beatrice. Um, it was in circulation, and um, Dante was 30. So um, Beatrice for Dante is a formative figure, but also is a, is a heavenly figure. And, and we'll see as we start talking about the comedy how she functions in, um, in the work. But she, she is an inspiration and more than an inspiration. She is for him in this romantic encounter uh, what leads him into um, to Christ. So that's the girl. Um, the city I've already mentioned um, is Florence. Um, 13th century Florence was one city-state among others in Italy at the time. And so w- without getting into too much um, detail, this was a time of great um, political strife between, on the one hand, um, the, the, um, the imperial power represented by sort of German states and, 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 and an emperor and kind of the late um, decadent uh, Roman Empire, and then on the other hand, the Pope, who um, was um, a significant political power at the time. And in Florence, Florence was a city that was um, sort of riven between two factions, um, and Dante was on one side of these factions. And in 1300, um, in the year 1300, he was elected 
to be a prior, which was one of six men who were responsible for governing the Florentine commune. And so he was at, he was at the height of his political power and influence in the city. Um, there was a civil crisis two years later, and leaders from the kind of opposing side come into power, and they um, leveled punishments against all those who had served the commune in the past, and that include against Dante. And Dante was charged with um, false crimes, um, and he was exiled from the city, and then eventually he was condemned to be burned to death if he should ever return back to the commune. And so he never went home. Um, so Dante, then, as we encounter him in the in the Divine Comedy, is a man in exile, in exile from his homeland, which he loved enough to um, serve, and in exile from himself. He'd experienced a political betrayal by the city, by his people, right? And so the the Divine Comedy is a working out of Dante's own salvation, but it involves his relationship to this city that had put him into exile. And and finally, um, the the guide, um, as we learn very early on in the first in the first canto of the um, of the Divine Comedy, um, the guide for Dante through hell and up purgatory will be Virgil, um, the um, poet, the famous Latin poet who wrote the Aeneid, the Aeneid about Aeneas's founding of Rome, and f- um, whom Dante tells us in the beginning of the Inferno is was his inspiration for writing poetry in the first place. So Dante chooses as a guide, Dante the poet chooses for Dante the pilgrim as his guide in the underworlds and in the afterlife, this pagan poet um, the, and who, who is considered to be the height of poetry. And, and just one thing to underline here is that Virgil was the greatest poet who ever wrote um, according in, in Dante's estimation and the estimation of the Rome, of the Romans and Virgil was the height of Latin poetry but Dante writes the divine comedy he, he could write great poetry in Latin that's what he wrote his poems about Beatrice in but he write he did, makes this decision to write the divine comedy in Italian more specifically in the Florentine dialect and it um, sort of um, makes Italian become, a language for the first time. He establishes it um, for the first time. And in so doing, he both says, he both nods to Virgil and he also says, I'm going to um, surpass you, Virgil, by writing in this new language, Italian, right? And and taking up the mantle of becoming the world's greatest poet. So the, the poem is shot through with this ambition and also with this deference, which makes it um, just super fascinating. The only other thing that I will say by way of introduction, there's already a lot by way of introduction, but just just a word about how the poem functions as a whole, and then a word about the images in the in the poem, and then we'll we'll just look at the poem itself. But the poem is called the um, the Commedia. Um, later, it gets at, it gets the um, adjective divine added onto that, but Dante just called it the Commedia. Um, a comedy is something that has a happy ending. One of the problems with the Divine Comedy is that most of us only read or are interested in the Inferno, but that that um, in Hell, but that only occupies a third of the story, and it's the thing that Augustine, that sorry, that Dante is most eager to leave behind. <laughs> and yet, most of us we associate the Divine Comedy with Dante putting people in Hell and damning them and the kind of negative, dark things, and we we miss out on on. Um, the beauty of the souls perfecting themselves in purgatory, and then the vi- the incredible vision of heaven that Dante has in the Paradiso. So one commedia, and each and is divided into three what Dante called um, 
Cantica, um, uh, Cantica, sorry, or Canticles, yeah, and that's the Inferno, the um, Purgatorio, and the Paradiso, and these are further subdivided into um, Canti, that's the plural for um, a canto, so there's a hundred Canti, a hundred cantos or songs that Dante writes, um, and so he divides these up equally among the, um, among the um, three Cantica. That's kind of the structure of the whole, and where I think we're going to get a chance to talk about each each one of the um, three cantica. The the last thing I'll just say as a, as a very broad overview is um, that Dante in the poem gives us a kind of uh, a, a, an actual map or tra- travelogue of um, through which we're supposed to follow his hard road down into and then out of out of hell and then his travels up towards heaven. And what's important to notice that space is just like the geography of the place isn't is it's full of images he's borrowing from pagan and newly invented things christian imagery but it's also intensely personal and moral so that space in the comedy is defined according to who's in it and a person is defined by where he or she is in dante's description of hell or purgatory or paradiso and so in the inferno we'll see the levels that are devoted to um, crime uh, reflect something about the person's disposition and the the sin that they're so clinging to. Whereas in the Purgatorio, the souls are climbing, traversing up a mountain, and that motion, that movement upwards is about their own, their souls being perfected. And of course, in the Paradiso, what we have is um, um, uh, an ascent into the heavens themselves. But when we look at the Inferno, what we see, and this this is this is the last point I'll say before we look at the Inferno itself, is the Inferno um, functions in terms of gravity, right? It's the Inferno, hell itself for Dante, is a is an enormous pit, right, with um, circles going around in it, and it's all moving down, 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 away from the heavens away from the Imperium, as he calls it, where God is, and down deeper and deeper into the very um, the very heart or the center of gravity that pulls you down. So the idea is that sliding down into hell is easy. There's a gravity to sin that pulls us downward, whereas climbing back out of it is exhausting and difficult and a struggle. Um, and so when we get to purgatory, we have the inversion of hell. We have a, a great mountain that goes up, and as you climb it, you're you're leaving the sin behind, and you're ascending closer and closer to the heavens. Um, so Dante, um, with his imagery, with his poetry, with his love, with the invocation of the city, and um, with his linking together um, the pagan philosophy and poetry of Virgil with his um, uh, Catholic faith, yeah, creates this world that we're invited to inhabit and follow along with him in. That's one thing I get the sense of, um, you know, reading through that it's, you get the sense of movement and that it's definitely this itinerary, right? Um, right. And I guess it's important to say before we get into the, the first canto of the Inferno is that uh, Dante is not dead, right? It's a, <laughs> an otherworldly journey that the living, and he's not new in, in, this, in this genre, but he obviously takes it to new heights. Uh, never to be surpassed in this other world journey, but he he's living, he's given this privileged opportunity to venture through uh, the, the, you know, the life here after the underworld and then up, up, up to paradise. Um, 
just to that point, Dante's writing the text itself after he's been exiled from Florence. So he's writing, um, he writes the Divine Comedy um, between 1310 and, and 1320 when he dies. But um, the um, the amazing thing is that he sets the comedy itself, and maybe it's time to look at the, the opening lines of the, of the Inferno, where he, this, this is how he begins the Divine Comedy. He says, um, midway in the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood, for the straight way was lost. Now, this midway in the journey of his life, he, he sets this um, midway through his life in the year 1300. So Dante, the poet, is writing this in 1310, let's say, or um, leading up to 1310, but he sets it back in 1300 when he was at the height of his political power and before he'd been exiled from Florence. So he's saying, actually, that he's he's lost his way even, even as, by outward signs, he seems to be successful and powerful. And so he's talking, he's talking about um, a... A spiritual darkness, something um, inside of him, of of him before he's even experienced his exile, that where he's struggling and searching and is lost. Um, it's it's the the these first three lines are, you know, they're just so so rich, and you could just sit with them for for you know a, a extended duration of time, just just thinking of, you know, the personal implications, you know, if someone was just to pick up in this book in, in, in the borders, you know, wherever that you can find a border still, um, and you pulled it off the shelf and you just, you just looked at it. Like you, you, you're invited into, uh, this, this drama, uh, as, as the human drama and the person's drama, but, you know, just the way, you know, it's translated here midway in the journey of our life. Um, and just the idea of coming to myself in a dark wood, I mean, this is a such a widespread phenomenon in a person's life. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know. How do you how do you read that? Like, I came to myself in a dark wood. That's it's paradoxical. It's murky on purpose. But mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, when you teach it to students, do they gravitate to this? Do they get this in their early twenties? Oh, yeah. Or <laughs> absolutely, I think. Well, our our. Um, Dante's talking about a midlife crisis, um, literally here, right? <laughs> um, but I think we have our crises earlier and earlier in a, in a certain sense. Um, yes, it, it, it's not just in the translation in the in the Italian. It's nostra vita. He's purposely saying he, he uses that word "I," right? Mm -hmm. I came to myself, so he personalizes it. But he also says "our." So immediately in the first two lines, midway in the journey of our life, I came to myself. He's saying here. I, Dante, the singular poet and the singular pilgrim, am going through this journey that I'm going to relate, this fabulous um, afterlife journey, right? Mm -hmm. But you too are coming along, dear reader, and also you too um, should identify with me, right? right? This is a poem that invites us to follow in Dante's footstep, and it also invites us to recognize the interior struggle, the struggle with sin, and also just even prior to all of that, this feeling of being lost in the middle, right, mm -hmm. and um, not knowing where we are. Uh, later, um, he, in, in line 10, he says, How I came there I cannot really tell. I was so full of sleep when I forsook the one true way. There's a really interesting tension here between knowing 
you know, he he was raised Catholic. He t- we we learn later he has a um a devotion, a special devotion to Mary and to Saint Lucy, for example. Um, but he also um so he knows that there is a true way, but he also it's this experience of waking up and and being in the middle of things and looking around and saying, how did I get here? What have I been doing? <laughs> right? right. I I knew the path, but I haven't been following it, and I'm not even sure. It, it's like I'm in a dream. Um, but the dream is my waking life. Right. Yeah, no doubt. And it, it's interesting. You have that dynamic here, the sleepiness, the, the, the sort of bewilderment. And then there's also a real palpable fear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he just says in five and six, the nature of that wood, savage, dense and harsh. The very thought of it renews my fear. And, you know, mm-hmm. if fear keeps coming back. It's one of the you know, notes I wrote down looking back at this canto is, you know, you sort of have the, the bewilderment the being lost. Uh, but also just that fear of, I guess, is it something of the unknown or just the fear of knowing you're lost, but not knowing the way forward? It's, it's tough yeah, to describe. I think um, it's the fear of being lost. It's the fear of these you know, the dense, savage, harsh um, woods. He's about to encounter three beasts. The, the, ever, the moment that Dante first penned the, and, and people started reading the Divine Comedy – um, the commentaries on the Divine Comedy started up, so we have we have seven hundred years of commentary, and no one has definitively kind of noted I, I, what this woods is, um, right. what the beasts are that are going to keep him from from ascending, um, what the hill is. I mean, there are guesses, and some are better than others. But Dante, I think um, we, we can say this much: he's afraid because he's bewildered. He's afraid. Dante trades. I remember. I remember just realizing this very, um, um, in in the course of teaching the comedy, Dante trades in very recognizable, very concrete, very straightforward symbols. Right. Um, darkness is bad. <laughs> Light is good. Right. Um, hell will be a place that's characterized by no light, by dark, and by the noises that are cacophonous and terrible. There will be no singing in in hell, whereas um, um, purgatory and paradise are characterized by the light of the stars, the light of the planets, singing, color. Right, and so we so here um, he evokes more than he. Um, um, explicitly tells us what it is that we're supposed to be fearing, but clearly um, there is a fear of death, a fear of being lost, and a fear of his own sin. He's forsaken right. the one true way, so he knows he's implicated in this darkness as well. Yeah, that's interesting. A fear of knowing I'm lost, not exactly quite sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for this state to whatever degree, and that's a particular kind of fear. Um, you know, that sense of responsibility for my being lost. Um, uh, Dante's guides who love him and who come to him, um, first Virgil and then Beatrice, they um, they care for him and they're going to lead him out of um, this place that he's in. But before they do so, each of them say to him, why have you done this? Why have you right. gotten yourself here? <laughs> right? So there is... Um, He's he's bewildered, but he himself knows. And part of the honestly, part of the thing that Dante the Pilgrim has to learn in journeying through the inferno and going into hell is to look at and name and recognize in himself his own hellish tendencies. 
and to not have pity. To, this is a striking thing for first time readers of the of the comedy. He has to learn to not have pity on the souls in hell. Um, this this could seem heartless, right? <laughs> except it, and it's a struggle. Dante himself doesn't make it easy for us, but but I I think in part he's asking us to look at the hellishness in ourselves and to want to rid ourselves of it, right? Mm-hmm. And to have compassion on um, ourselves insofar as we're working towards, um, as we ask for forgiveness, as we work towards um, the light. And that's, um, and so really, if he weren't a pilgrim, if you were stuck in hell, then the story would be completely different. Well, there'd be no story really, right? right. Um, so the, 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 he begins in the middle of life, he's lost, but he's also seeking. That's an important, he's right. groping, but he is still seeking. Yeah, he um, wants to get up. He gets. He wants to get up this mountain that he sees off into the distance with the lights peeking around its shoulder, and then that's when the three beasts get in his way, which is you know impeding right um, his ascent, right. right? And, and then, as, as we know, Virgil's going to come along at the behest of Beatrice and um, was it Lucy and the Blessed Mother? Those three. That's right. Fine we'll, we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing um, cascading of grace. And agency and grace. Um, that's right. What we learn in what we learn in in Canto Two is that Mary looks down at um, Dante with from from heaven from from the side of her son with with pity and concern, and first sends Lucy, who who Dante had a special kind of devotion to, and who also is, she's she's the the identified with um, sight and light. Um, and she was important for his poetry. And Lucy, in turn, finds the woman, Beatrice, who was Dante's inspiration and who brought about this new life for Dante. And Beatrice goes <laughs> down into hell, into this um, place called Limbo, right? Which is a it's a space for um, the ancient pagan thinkers who lived virtuous lives but who did not believe in God. Um, we, we, um, there's a lot to be said about that, but it's mm-hmm. a space for, it's a space for them. It's also for Dante, a space for, um, those children who died without being baptized. Um, so by the way, this, this makes for a really interesting, um, society, right? It's all babies and philosophers, which, um, <laughs> who knows how that, the politics of that place work out exactly. But the, the thing about limbo is, um, there's no punishments there except for one. You'll never see the face of God. So you live without any suffering, but also without any hope, as Virgil says um, famously. So, so you know, the, the citizens of heaven don't go down to visit the citizens of hell, but um, Mary says there's an exception, and Beatrice gets to go down and um, find Virgil and says and, and asks Virgil um, to come and lead Dante through hell, of which Virgil is supposedly familiar with as um, as a denizen thereof, and then up purgatory, and then Virgil tells us at that point there'll be a different guide who'll take you into heaven because I'm not able to go there. So, um, right, if you notice, one of the things that Dante does that's amazing is he Dante the poet makes makes it so that God's grace for him and the concern for him is mediated through this community of interested and selfless and loving individuals, even including this pagan um, um, uh, poet who um, was sort of damned 
who is damned, not sort of, who is mm-hmm. damned, but who also is um, allowed to serve nonetheless and willingly serves God in being Dante's guide. We'll find this over and over again. Dante is strikingly audacious in, mm-hmm. this, in this vision, right? But yeah. also there's a kind of beautiful wholeness to it. It's truly Catholic in this right. sense. It gathers up everything um, right. into it. So, um, so right, so Virgil, so here he is. He's trying to get up the hill um, and, and he, makes, he makes an effort. Um, we should say there's a kind of crossing first he says he looks back and he sees he's left behind this past where no mortal being mm-hmm. has ever left alive and yet dante himself is still alive um one of the running themes of the comedy is that dante is in his flesh and yet going where no mortal person has gone before yeah the um, shades yeah so we should say when, when virgil comes on the scene and and dante begins speaking with him and virgil's uh introducing himself he's um you know well, Dante asks, right, whether shade or living man. So the shade is the disembodied souls of those that have died, right? Um, right. And so in Dante's, you know, classically Christian or, you know, maybe high high medieval Christianity, right, that this, this member, the disembodied soul is not fully the human person. Uh, That's right. You're a vestige. And, and I think... Yeah, you get the sense that the shade is something of a of a Dantean, um, if not invention, and the way he does it is much more robust than any before him. The idea that the soul informs the the particles of the air, and so there is something there, but it's not fully human because it's not embodied. And so Virgil will respond and say, "Not a man, though once I was." Uh, whereas mm-hmm. Dante does maintain his embodiment, so <laughs> you have the shades marveling at his footprints in places. That's right. Yeah, and that he breathe that his chest moves, right. right? And later on purgatory, he'll cast a shadow, and they'll be amazed at this. Right. Um, I just want to underscore something that you said, though, that um, Dante is drawing on this that that notion of the shade. Um, Dante is doing something totally unique with it, but it, he it comes from Virgil and before him from Homer. Um, one of the th- one of the reasons that he picks Virgil is because in the Aeneid, Aeneas goes into the underworld and encounters shades there. But Dante, as a um, as a Christian believer, um, maintains, and then Virgil um, uh, confirms. Right, Virgil in the poem confirms mm-hmm. that everyone on the in the final judgment will receive their bodies again. Those who are in hell will continue to be tormented but now in a bodily form <laughs> um which is a which is a which is a horror added on to the horrors already in hell um those in purgatory of course will make their way up mount purgatory before the final um judgment before the end of time so purgatory will be no more at the end of time and then in heaven those in heaven their happiness is complete already but it will be added to when they receive their bodies then too so in a certain way dante in going to the afterlife in his flesh is also anticipatory in precisely that way um, of, of what will come. And so everyone he encounters as a shade is not yet complete, whether to the, their eternal suffering right. or to their eternal blessedness. There's some beautiful things in the encounter with Virgil here, um, and just two to call our attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, when Dante the Pilgrim first speaks in the poem, um, this is at line 65 of the of Canto One. he says... Um, Mise re re. He's in in this is translated have have mercy on me. But the language he uses there, mise re re. Um, listeners to this podcast might be familiar with it. It's it's Latin for have mercy on me. So the first word that Dante speaks 
in the um in the poem is in fact latin <laughs> almost signaling and and as it turns out he doesn't know yet he's calling it out not knowing who this figure is coming towards him but as it turns out this is appropriate an appropriate language to address what will soon reveal itself to be virgil coming to him right but it's also almost as if dante says i too can speak the language of latin and now i leave it behind and start to speak mm. my vernacular it's he's doing at the same time an ode to um right he's he's acknowledging this language and he's also going past it but perhaps more appropriate for what you know for the setting and our, our the context the first word that dante the pilgrim utters in the poem is a liturgical word so dante is doing this subtle kind of nod to his need for forgiveness in this moment in in right. what he cries in what he cries out yeah the second that, that, thing that, that is striking yeah. just the i i hadn't even thought of that that his first spoken word is that that plea for mercy um yeah without even knowing it's a plea for mercy it's yeah. liturgical it's, it's it addresses virgil as always dante's doing five things at once and right. running ahead of us that's right. part of his genius um <laughs> right the second thing that's amazing is um when dante learns that this is virgil he says his head bends down low in shame it's like he's been waiting to meet his hero, and here he is. He meets him in the afterlife on his worst possible day, right? <laughs> Having just failed to uh, to climb up the mountain and face his his sins, his demons, right. um, and and he and what he says is, "O glory and light of all other poets, let my long study and great love avail." That made me delve so deeply into your volume. He's talking about reading and rereading and rereading the um, the um, Aeneid. And then he says, you are my teacher and my author. You are the one from whom alone I took the noble style that has brought me honor. And so he's saying to Virgil here, you already were my leader in life, right? As a, as a poet and as, as a teacher, right? And now Virgil shows up to be that in the afterlife um, and to lead him uh, through the, the three kingdoms, as he'll say, that will follow. And then so – we start to move into the second canto, right? With the same sort of dynamic, right? Sort of feeling how Virgil will guide forward, right? And um, and I, I do, I remember, you know, really being struck by that dynamic. First time going through a lot of this was the, the teacherly role of Virgil. And at times he's merciful and compassionate. Other times he's hard and, and stern where it's needed, Um so that that's his ministry is is exercised rather versatilely, you know. It's impressive. That's right. Well, Beatrice says she chose Virgil in part because his skill, his talent, his virtuosity with with words. But really, crucially, she calls him the cur that courteous Mantuan spirit. She addresses him as courteous. And um, I've been thinking about this for for a long time. But I think courtesy here for Dante means something like. A willingness to um, make oneself available to the other, and what Dante the Pilgrim does—I mean, Dante the Poet does beautifully—is he depicts himself as in need both of compassion and of that, as you say, that kind of stern talking to. And Virgil turns out to be, for the most part, a very, very good guide. And one of the things that happens is he moves from being a teacher and a leader to being a father um, mm -hmm. for Dante. Um, 
and their relationship. There are these beautiful moments. At one point in the Inferno, they have to slide down these this rocky um, place in hell, and Don, and and Virgil grasps Dante says to his breast and and carries him down that way, or he'll tell him to look away at the at the right times, or he'll go ahead. Um, um, it's 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 a beautiful um, relationship that starts to develop between them. But at other times, Virgil will say. Why are you why are you staring at this? Why are you fascinated by this? Why do you have pity on these sinners? And it seems really harsh and and stinging until we realize that we too become kind of um uh engrossed in all of the kind of um these depictions of horror, right? And we become fascinated. And then Dante uses Virgil to kind of pull us out of that and away from ourselves again. Yeah, I'm even looking at the end of Canto two here and um you know, Virgil's going through the whole narrative of how he even arrived there and why he's there and, and what, 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 you know, the, the bidding from the heavenly ladies. And, and then he says, um, you know, and so I came to you just, and this is a uh, one eighteen. And so I came to you just as she wished. I saved you from the beast denying you the short way to the mountain of delight. And then he says, what then? Why, why do you delay? Why do you let such cowardice rule your heart? Why are you not more spirited and sure when three such blessed ladies care for you in heaven's court and my words promise so much good. So yeah, it's like, let's go. come on. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good parenting. Uh, it's a good, it's good parenting technique. Right. right? Um, look at all, look at, look at, and, and again, for Dante, the name of Beatrice is enough to um, ennoble him. Right. And yet part of what he'll say is, ah, oh, I when I forsook the true way, I also forsook my love for Beatrice. I didn't. I wasn't who it is that I wanted to be, and the love that she I had for her that inspired me to be this. Uh, um, so that's right. I, there's just one other thing that I I I, I can't let it pass without um, saying that that um, two things about Canto Two. One is Canto One. He sets off. He's ready to go, and then all of a sudden, Canto Two is sometimes called like the hesitating uh, Canto because mm-hmm. we have this amazing thing where he's ready to go into hell, and then he says, "Oh, I don't really. Want, this is too scary for me." <laughs> right. And so the whole nothing's happened yet. We still we still haven't gotten yet into hell proper, um, and so that's a really nice piece of delay that the poet um, gives us. Um, but then here at the end, right after the lines that you just read. Um, about Virgil's exhortation, there's this great little simile. And I I love that Dante describes himself this way. He says, um, as little flowers, he's calling himself now, he's referring to himself as a little flower, bent and closed with chill of night. When the sun lights on them, they stand all open on their stems. Such in my failing strength did I become. And so much courage poured into my heart that I began. Mm -hmm. Right? And so he's saying here right virgil's care for him the exhortation the knowledge that these um women who are themselves blessed right who play this role as agents for him he's this little flower that was all closed up at at, at night afraid in the dark woods and now the sun shined on him and he's opened but he's aware that he's only a um a a little flower on a on a on a little stem right Mm -hmm. and he opens up it's a beautiful little little image um and our last image of beauty before we descend into um, into hell, it's also interesting. Just in that, that encapsulates so much. Just that little scene we were going through. It's a diagnosis of Dante's spiritual state, a prescription of what you need, mm-hmm. and then sort of this mo- this real deep, passionate, heartfelt um, 
you know, appeal to the fullness of the person that like, it's not just this intellectual dressing down or, or, you know, this thumos of like, you know, man up, it's look how much good is before you. And you don't even have a sense of it yet, but you'll become more and more adept at recognizing the fullness uh, that's on offer to you. So it seems like a, a small little encapsulation of, you know, what's, what's going to come. Thanks for joining us for this first installment of our Lenten journey through the divine comedy. So the plan going forward is to spend two more episodes in hell with uh, Dante's Inferno and then making our way downward and then upward uh, toward Mount Purgatories and then spending three episodes in Purgatory with Dante and Virgil and then eventually meeting uh, the wonderful Beatrice and then uh, ascending with her for three more episodes uh, into paradise. And so we'll spend time during the Lenten season uh, in hell and purgatory. And then fittingly, uh, in the Easter season, we'll make our way into paradise. And so we'll have about one episode a week going forward, um, nine episodes total, which is very Dantean, uh, three sets of three. And I uh, look forward to you joining us for the rest of the way. Uh, until that next episode, though, let's continue journeying further up and further in. Mm-hmm.